You ready to get into the Word? All right. You, friends, are at the end of Wisdom for Life. There's no more wisdom. There's no more life. Um, we, uh, this, is, this is part nine of nine. So you can all pat yourself on the back because you have all memorized Psalm 1 um, as we, uh, we set out to do. Um, and we're going to just see how well you all um, have taken up that summer assignment because um, I'm going to show it to you and then we're going to go back and we're just going to say it. No, it's okay. Let's, let's, say, it, let's say it loud, say it together like maybe we believe this might be true. Here we go. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law, he meditates day and night. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in its season, whose leaf also shall not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. That's good news. This, we've been looking through just an overview of this chapter, and yes, we have a few families from Christ Classical. They've memorized this so many times, they probably don't even hear the scripture anymore, right? No, I'm kidding. There are some more people laughing at me. Okay. Uh, we went through three warnings. The, the, we talked about the, the warning of the counsel of the ungodly. We talked about uh, a warning about the path of the sinners and the seat of the scornful. We talked about the three rewards, the blessing of being planted, the blessing of being fruitful, and the blessing, the blessing, the blessing of being leafy or drought tolerant. And today, we're going to kind of wrap up this whole series by talking about the instruction in the middle. This is the hinge of the whole passage. Because this passage, God is revealing to us a guide to the blessed life. And this passage describes the way God wants life to be for us, what he's inviting us into. And this sits at the center. Blessed is the man or blessed is the woman. Blessed is the one whose delight is in the law of the Lord. Now let's talk about delight. What are some things that you delight in? What does that word even mean? That's your cure. You can shout something out. What's a synonym for delight? Enjoy, be happy, pleasure. Wait, I, I didn't think the Christian life was supposed to have any pleasure at all, right? Because we've forsaken all of our pleasures and all we do, all we are left to is a boring, stoic, evaporated, empty, vacuum, frowning life until we finally get to the end Broke, busted, and disgusted. What kind of God do you think we have? He has invited us to take pleasure in Him, to 
that our heart's desire would be him, that a celebration of what matters most would be him. Well, let's sub in some of those words into this center section. Can you say that blessed is the one or blessed is the man whose pleasure is in the law of the Lord? Do you ever think about rewarding yourself at the end of a hard day with an hour in the scriptures? Or does that just seem unrealistic? It's okay. I've been there. I'm I'm not coming from a place of holier than anyone. But if that doesn't seem realistic, maybe that's giving us a window into where our soul really is. How about blessed is the one whose heart's desire is in the law of the Lord. When you are parched in your soul, when you are in pain, or when you're traumatized, when you're surprised by grief, is your heart's desire to go to God's word? How about blessed is the one, or blessed is the man, whose celebration of what matters most is in the law of the Lord? When every other voice and every other source and every other thing, have we come to a place where our celebration, our pleasure, our heart's desire is God's word? And I want to um, open your eye maybe to something that will help us in this moment because there's two kinds of delight. There's the Disneyland delight. Right? You like Disneyland, right? I, thank you. I have one honest Clive over there. I have one honest Claire over there, yes. And Disneyland is great. We look forward to going to Disneyland. Maybe every other year or so, we love going to those places. We love going to Mount Hermon, to family camp. But there's a Disneyland delight, and sometimes our delight in even looking forward to it exceeds the delight in the thing itself. Right? Sometimes we actually have more fun romanticizing about it than the fun we actually have in it. Our Christian life is not supposed to be a Disneyland delight where we look forward to some conference or some, you know, weekend service or something that's going to happen in the future that we get to once in a while experience this fun or this delight every once in a while, every great long while. We're not being called to a Disneyland delight. We're being called to an everyday delight. Now this is a picture of some home-cooked bread that my wife made. It's my favorite food. You can keep your filet mignons. I, I, as a carbivore, will keep my homemade bread with butter and a lullaberry peach preserves out of our garden. That is the edible will of God for me. <laughs> but it's an everyday delight. Right? And I know that God is inviting us to an everyday delight, not a Disneyland delight. Because in the passage, right, he's saying his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law, he meditates... Once a year when he goes to Mount Hermon, once a year when he goes to the Greater Faith Conference, once a year when he goes, you know, no, that is not it. Once a week when he goes to church, no. 
It's day and night. He's talking about an everyday delight, not a Disneyland delight. Listen to the witnesses throughout Scripture about delight. Here is the witness of the psalmist talking about delight. He says, and I will delight, actually, I got just a bit ahead of myself. That delight is an everyday thing. And and you see this, the everyday delight becomes this, uh, that there is, um, that then, and whatever we do will prosper. That everyday delight, and then that we will have some, we will experience something that is godly, that is intended for us. And you'll see this this connection through the witnesses of the psalmist, and I'm going to read several witnesses throughout the scripture. A witness is just a reference in the Bible that is, is helping you to see and helping us to see that this is not an isolated thing, it's the thing. Here's the witness of the psalmist from Psalm 119. And I will delight myself in your commandments, which I love. My hands also I will lift up your commandments, which I love, and I will meditate on your statutes. Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all day long. How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. My soul keeps your testimonies, and I love them exceedingly. Here's the witness of the wise king, Solomon, from Proverbs. My son or my daughter, do not forget my law, but let your heart keep or treasure or delight in my commands. For length of days and long life and peace they will add to you. Let not mercy and truth forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. And so find favor and high esteem in the sight of God and man. Every day delight in the heart you can see the fruit in our life. Hear the witness of Jesus. This is in the Gospel of John, chapter 14. He says, He who has my commandments and keeps or treasures them or delights in them, it is he who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. If anyone loves me, he will keep or treasure Or delight in my word. And my father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. Hear the witness of the apostle Paul. This is to the church at Thessalonica in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. And we also thank God continually for this. That when you received the word of God which you heard from us. You welcomed and delighted in it not as the word of men. But as it truly is the word of God which is effectually at work in you, in your heart, in your soul, in you who believe. Hear the witness of the Apostle Peter. This is in 1 Peter chapter 2. Like newborn babies, you should long, you should desire, take pleasure in, delight in the pure milk of the word, so that by it you may be nurtured and grow in respect to your salvation Now that you have tasted a lullaberry peach preserves. No. Now that you have tasted the goodness and gracious kindness of the Lord. Many theologians say that delight is the chief aim of humanity. That God created us to delight in him.
delight in him. And when the psalmist invites us to delight in his law or his word, it's because his word shows us who he is. It invites us into fellowship, not just head knowledge, but in the tasting and the seeing and the touching and the hearing and the smelling of who he really is. So back to the beginning, this is one more witness, and this is our passage that we're going to sit on just for a few minutes. It's from Deuteronomy chapter 11, and God has brought his people out of bondage from the land of Egypt. He has invited them to his holy mountain. He has given them the Ten Commandments or the moral law um, that is not just a list of do's and don'ts. It is an invitation to life as God lives it that we might delight in him. And at the end, he sets, he, he sets, this is the life I have invited you into, and this is what happens if you don't follow that. This is what awaits you in the world. This is what awaits you because the world has been stained with sin and darkness, and none of us have been untouched by sin and darkness. But he is inviting us into a kingdom of light. And so he leaves, and this end, the end of this passage, this is kind of the, what he leaves his people with, that's, and that's us. He says, so commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these words of mine. Treasure them. Delight in them. Celebrate them as if they are what really matters most. Commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these words of mine. Tie them to your hands and wear them on your forehead as reminders. Teach them diligently to your children. Talk about them when you're at home and when you are on the road and when you are going to bed and when you are getting up. Write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates so that as long as the sky remains above the earth, you and your children may flourish in the land the Lord swore to give to your ancestors." This is what the life of delight looks like. If you walked into that life, or into that home, or into that family, or into that marriage, or into that friendship, or into that team, or into that church, and you looked around, you would find God's word and the person of God coming in through every sense, eyes, ears, mouth, Touch, thought, intention. You notice what is missing from this list? I know you'd have to read my mind to guess. But do you notice what we typically say or we associate with one of the things that we, when we delight in God, this is kind of um, one of the the activities that we do regularly to, to demonstrate that. Church attendance. It's not on there. Now, before you you get scared that I'm going to tell you all not to come to church anymore, that's not it. What I'm saying is, is that 
that what he's inviting us into isn't a, a Sunday thing. He's not inviting us into a Disneyland delight. He's inviting us into an everyday delight. The delight list here, this is when you're at home and when you're on the road and when you're going to bed and when you're getting up and what's on the walls in your house and what you're listening to and what you're watching and what you're seeing, what you surround yourself with, what is coming in through your senses, right? This is what you're delighting in on an everyday thing. What does the script, what does the script of your daily routines, conversations, activities, pleasures, and most importantly, your internal narrative say about the God that we claim to love, right? What does the theology of your everyday life say? Do you, I'll ask the question again, would you think about rewarding yourself at the end of a long day with an hour soaking in God's word? Here's another, let's take a look at it another way. Do you, do you wonder why children walk away from their faith in large numbers as young adults? Well, most studies that I've read in one way or another, and I know it's been studied to death, um, but most studies I've read in one way or another point to the same thing. It's that faith in the child's family amounted primarily to church attendance on Sundays. That faith in that child's family had very little to do with everyday life. And so what we are teaching the next generation by our everyday faith is that church is an optional weekend activity for our inspiration and encouragement rather than the sacred privilege of God's people. So when today's children become adults, their everyday life actually doesn't look substantially different than the everyday life they grew up with. And they often then... Choose other weekend activities for inspiration and encouragement. Now, this problem isn't church attendance or parenting. The problem is our everyday life. When we go in and we take a 360 and look at our lives, for many of us, it does not look like delight in the Lord through all five senses. In our conversations and what we listen to and what we look, what we look at, what we watch, what we feed ourselves with. When we do that 360, our everyday faith isn't delighting in him. And then we wonder why we have stomach problems. We merely see the effects of our everyday theology in church attendance and parenting. You know, Michelle and I asked God a dangerous prayer once. This was a few years back. We just asked, and it was over time. We asked, what would it look like for us, for our family, our family of five, to delight in you? And his answer to me really was this passage. And it has nothing to do with being a pastor. It had everything to do with our everyday life. You know, we all have an everyday life. Even pastors have everyday lives. And in fact, the change started before I became a pastor, and it will continue until we graduate to glory. And I'm going to go through, this is probably one of the most practical or spending the most time on application. I'm going to take you through some of the things that God has led us into or invited us into as a family. And it's not about parenting or marriage per se. It's about delighting in Him. And I want to first promise you that we are not perfect 
I want to promise you that even this week, I probably struggled with patience more than I have in a long time. And I was confounded by, Lord, I should be, I thought I was beyond this. And we don't do even all the things on this list perfectly. But what I, and, but what I want to say is that over time, we've been led into these things. And over time, our delight meter is a lot different than it used to be. Our delight meter. The promises that we keep reading about, about the witness of delight in God, looks different now than it ever did before. This list is also not theological recommendations, meaning if you don't do the things on this list, I am not saying that you're in sin or that you're backwards. I'm not even saying that you need to adopt all these things at all. I'm just saying that consider for yourselves what your life would look like if you truly delighted in the Lord in your everyday life. So the first thing, I just want to talk just for a minute about what we talk about. So in the passage, it talks about in the morning when you get up and at night when you go to sleep. So we actually, we, we do some, a, a, different, a kind of devotions in the morning and at night. So when we wake up um, as, as a family, um, or even if it's just, you know, depending on our work schedules and things, when we get up, we're going to say and proclaim and declare scriptures that we're memorizing together as a family, just little passages. And we're going to sing a hymn or we're going to sing a song together um, because singing together is so powerful It's not just for Sunday. We sing together, and it's not because we have great voices. We just sing together a cappella. We sing a hymn, or we sing a worship song, or a chorus. We sing together. We sing a prayer. We might sing the doxology, but we sing something at the beginning of our day. And sometimes if we're driving to school, we'll sing in the car. But we're singing in the morning. We're we're saying the scriptures that we're memorizing, that we're meditating on in the morning. And at nighttime, we do bedtime blessings. So we gather the family around, everyone at 8 o'clock. I know that's, well, because we have kids. But whenever and whomever is in your home, we have a bedtime blessing. And so we're going to look at maybe one verse from Proverbs. We're going to look at one virtue or one, one piece of wisdom from Scripture. And we're going to reflect on whether we really lived that way today. And what we might do to live that way tomorrow, what God is inviting us into, what we're, we're meditating on the virtues and the wisdom of Scripture. We're going to pray as a family for people that we know that are hurting. Like we're going to pray for Marco tonight, wherever she is. But the things that, the things that we know about, we're going to pray for those. And then we give big hugs and we go to, and we go to bed. But morning and at night, Meal times are sacred in our family. We have dinner together probably six days a week at least, sometimes seven. And if it's not dinners, it could be lunches or breakfasts or whatever it is, whatever that looks like, but we're sharing meals together. And one of the little mantras that we have is it's dinner time, not device time. So we have no devices on in the house and no devices at the table. And we talk, we feed on God's faithfulness. We ask one another, what are you grateful for today? Where did you see God move? What was your high? What was the best part of your day? Also, did you have a low? Were you discouraged by anything so that we can nurture you? We can encourage you. 
We feed on the faithfulness of God and relate it. We bring the, the power of God's word into our mealtime conversation. Also, we don't let sin accumulate. What I mean by that is we don't, we don't really use the kind of the worldly terminology of I'm sorry, I'm sorry, or not sorry, or whatever. We, when we sin, either when it's, we use the word sin. We say, please forgive me when I'm angry. Please forgive me when I was disrespectful to you. Please forgive me when I lost my temper. That's one I have to use a lot. Please forgive me when I overreacted. Please forgive me when I lectured you. Please forgive me when I was rude. Please forgive me when I was unkind. But we talk about, we bring God's word into our conversation and keep our accounts, our hearts clean, our accounts short. And we, and we ask for forgiveness. Like the Bible says, confess your sins to one another because he is, and he is faithful and just to forgive you. And so, and then we, and we invite one another, each other, into the power of extending that forgiveness and what that means and what it means to set the account clean multiple times. I, mean, I probably say it a dozen times a day to people in my family. I mean, I'm broken and whole. I'm broken and whole. And we also appreciate the way you say, I appreciate the way you were generous, or I appreciate the way you preferred others, or I appreciate the way you, uh, you held back your tongue and you let a soft answer turn away wrath. We appreciate virtues and character. We appreciate the blessings that we see anytime we get a chance to, as much as possible. It's what we talk about. It's not just going to church on Sunday. What we watch and listen to. You know, what's up in your house is what you say is important. That's what you're saying is important. Now, it may not be all that actually is important to you, but it is what you're saying is important. So we have weekly verses of encouragement. We have scriptures on the wall, blessings on the wall. We have commitments that we've made to one another in our family and to our children. We have pictures of our family and friends, and we have sacred art. You will not find pictures of celebrities in our house. And it's not because we have some religious dogma to not make any graven images or things like that. It's because we want to feed our senses with the Lord and with his word and delight in him. The music we listen to is primarily sacred of all styles. And my son just found Lecrae, so we're listening to a lot of hip-hop and rap these days. But we share a family iTunes library. We watch shows and TV and books that primarily honor, in some way, Christian values. Now, that is not to say we only watch Lionsgate films or we only watch Pure Flicks. I'm just saying that generally we look for things that in some way are redemptive, in some way honor something good. And we tend to avoid what openly and intentionally uh, desecrates God's commandments and his virtues and his character. And we also put healthy limits. Like most days, kind of the rule of thumb is you only get one show's worth of TV a day. 45 minutes. It's not, and I would say, I will include Christian TV here. Binge watching TBN is still binging. And yes, we allow for occasional events or movie nights or things like that. It's not about the rule. It's about the heart. 
But this limit, if this limit opens up plenty of time for music and outdoor recreation and family games and staying active and imaginative play and bedtime blessings and longer meal conversations and chores, glory to be to God, and reading. But if we, if we don't carve out and limit the time of spaced out in front of the TV, you won't find time to delight. It won't just materialize. You have to set it aside. Now, what we say no to, this might ruffle some feathers, and I am not, again, I am not, this is not a shame day where I'm saying, if you don't do this, it's really not. We didn't flip a switch. It's things that we've led in, been led in over time to do, and we're still being led into new things, not to make our life more restrictive, but to delight in him more. So one thing that we say no to is Michelle and I have never had cable or satellite in our house. Never had live TV. So this reduces the temptation to surf, to overindulge in news or long televised events, to use the TV as background noise or as a babysitter. It also eliminates almost all advertisements and commercials. Now we do subscribe to two streaming services, but the family controls are enabled and my wife is the only one with the pin. Thank you. Thanks be to God. We say no to vulgar content. So we avoid shows and content that says TV-MA, that's for mature audiences, and instead believe that a sign of maturity is simply avoiding the vulgarity in the first place. So one example, this is near and dear to my heart, and I admit my heart wasn't as far along as I thought it was. So I used to, we used to be big fans of 24, um, and, and sometimes it was really hard to le- keep that to only one show because it leaves you so like, intensely held on what that we'd end up watching two shows, and we'd break our own rules. So sometimes we still do that. But um, Designated Survivor was a show that had the same main character from 24, and he was pretty much the same guy except in a different role. He's kind of been typecast into that, um, into that particular character. And so we watched the first two seasons. We were really enjoying it. And then the production of that show changed. And in season three, all of a sudden it had all kinds of vulgar content because it was taken, the production went from, you know, a network audience to a streaming only audience. And so they, you know, and, and then I was like, I really want to see what happens in this season. I really don't want to give up this show. It's vulgar. So we just said, no, you just walk away. You just walk away because what you feed yourself That's what's going into you. We say no to device dependency. So we have a central check-in and charging station for all devices. Devices don't go into bedrooms. All devices are connected to a family account with a, we, I mean, I'm a bit of a tech guy, so forgive me, but it doesn't really take a tech guy to set this up. But there's an application that allows us to control all of the devices so that they are locked out during sleeping hours and have daily usage limits. Thank you, Lord. So that means I just don't have to, I don't have to watch. I don't have to worry about it because the device will shut off and it's locked out. And that's for Michelle and I too. We don't need to be sitting on it like eight hours a day. Okay. We also say no to an expectation of privacy. This is, this is key to delighting in the Lord. Privacy is not a right in our home. On the contrary, 
Privacy is the enemy of accountability. Privacy opens the door for the enemy to bait us into secret sin. And that's not just for guys, that's for people. The right to privacy is a civil law to protect individuals from an intrusive government. It is not a moral law. And hiding behind the idea that my stuff is private is really rebellion for those that want it. And it's conflict avoidance for those that allow it. My wife has a right to read every text I send, every app I download, every song I listen to, every show I watch, and vice versa. My children do not have the right to private email accounts, Instagram accounts, or media libraries. All apps and accounts in our family on any device are approved and centrally managed and available. Now, that doesn't mean I sit and snoop on everyone all the time, but there is no. In my house, we will serve the Lord. In my house, there is no expectation of privacy. For me or for anyone in that house, in our house. I know people, somebody, I forget who it is, literally took, I think it was Matt and Ariana Brush, yes. Matt took off the doors of his kids' bedrooms at a particularly difficult time to reinforce that. And he came to that conclusion long before I did. So he, you can blame him for all this. No. And there is also, we say no to overscheduling. So our family is together on the weekends in addition to meal times on a daily basis, right? Uh, Michelle and I, we can play up to one evening a week, and that's fine. Kids can, we allow our kids to play two recreational sports per year plus music lessons, but never more than one sport at a time. And we say no to club sports because overscheduling damages our daily family routines, our mealtime conversations, our Sabbath worship and rest, and financial stewardship, We can overschedule ourselves until there's no room for delight left. Okay, so you're through the list of what we say no to. And I'm not saying that's all the things we say no to. I'm just saying those are some big ones that were difficult for us to kind of roll out. And I want to say each time we tried to roll one of those out, it was clunky and it didn't feel right. And we got opposition and my flesh fought it and Michelle's flesh fought it. And everything, like it wasn't easy. But I'm going to tell you, Our journey didn't start out as a religious checklist or a bunch of do's and don'ts. It was not a switch that anyone flipped. It started as a desire to really know the God we serve, to really delight in him. And everything else happened slowly like a tree growing. If you come back in a year, you might be amazed at the change or the growth. Our earnest desire and prayer has prompted behavior or activity changes and the delight followed. If you are waiting for the emotion of everyday delight to make any one of these or other changes, you will be waiting forever because your flesh already enjoys what it gets. But if you see something in his word, You sense something in the spirit. And your desire is to know him and to delight in him. And you take a step to make a change. Not every change, but a change. The delight will follow. And it is not though ultimately this act or any of the things that I listed, any of the activities themselves that we enjoy. It is God himself that has become our delight. 
Because you can do all those things on my list as a duty and it will get you nothing. Nothing. What's wrong with duty? I'll show you. Here it is. Imagine I came home with flowers for my wife, for Michelle, every Friday. I don't, but imagine if I did for a minute. And one week she says, Jeff, they're beautiful. Why do you keep spending so much of our hard-earned money at Trader Joe's? And I say, it's my duty. I read it in a good marriage manual. What value would those flowers have? Negative value. It's an insult. And if you are doing things for your spouse out of duty and wondering why there's no response, there it is. It's the same with our Lord. We don't do things out of duty. We do things out of delight. Imagine if I were to respond to the same question and say, Michelle, I can't help myself. I see the flowers and their beauty reminds me of you. I want you to know every time you walk by them that I cherish you in my heart all day and nothing would make me happier than to spend this evening with you and ordering takeout with no dishes. Big difference. Big difference between duty and delight. John Piper says this about delight. He says, The most fundamental thing to say is that the enjoyment of God is the enjoyment of a person, not just the enjoyment of a thing or an idea or a pattern of actions. God is a person. Therefore, when the Bible reveals ultimate reality to be a person, it's not affirming anything impossible or even improbable. God is a person. Eternal, ultimate reality is a person. And therefore, ultimate joy is the joy of a person. It's God's joy. And the ultimate joy of his creatures, that's us, is joy in a person. Our joy in the Lord, our joy in God, our joy in his law. That's why when we see, when we come to this, to Psalm 37, 4, which we've used for all kinds of other things, but I'm going to open your mind here just to one thing. Delight, it says, delight yourself in the Lord, and he shall give you the desires of your heart. That does not say, come to church, and he'll give you all the stuff you ever wanted. It says, delight yourself in the Lord, and he shall give you the desires of your heart. Could it be that God is saying he will give you himself? What could you be offered of greater value? Delight. Take pleasure in. Let your heart's desire be in. Celebrate what matters most in the Lord. And he shall give you himself.